welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, beginning reading in verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, and whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and there is, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. A couple of teenage boys were talking one day about what they think about, and one of them enthusiastically told the other one the benefits of having a healthy mental attitude, and he even mentioned a phrase that once impressed him. He said, remember, we become what we think about most. And his friend looked at him and said, that means I'm going to become a girl. <laughs> he thinks about the girls. Now, I love the story about the little boy who loved to play baseball. I, I've got a couple of grandsons. They sent us pictures this week of them in their baseball uniform, and, and they're getting ready to play baseball, and they love baseball. But this little boy had a, a ball and a bat, and he's had his hat on, and he's walking around in the backyard saying, I am the greatest baseball player in the world. He throws the ball up to hit it, and he swings, and he misses. So he picks the ball up again and said, I'm the greatest baseball player in the world. And he throws it up and he swings and he misses again. And he, he picks the ball up and he looks at it and he looks at his bat and said, I am the greatest baseball player in the world. He throws it up and misses again. And this time he says, I am the greatest pitcher in all of the world. <laughs> I love the way that he's thinking. And folks, did you know that your thoughts matter? Thoughts are important. The Scripture talks about it. Listen to a few verses. Proverbs 4.23, Keep your heart or your mind with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Romans 12.2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Ephesians 4.23, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And then even Colossians 3.10, And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Paul is convinced and tells us that right thinking leads to right behavior and the prophet and proper actions. If you believe what is right, you will act right. He also believed that proper thinking was the key to having joy and having the peace of God in your life. Now, you'll notice in verse 8, he begins with the word that everyone wants to hear the preacher say on Sunday, finally. <laughs> so why does he start finally in verse 8? Because he's been talking about 
rejoicing in the Lord and, and not worrying about anything and having joy and peace of God in your life. And then he says, finally, let me wrap this up for you. I'll lay, you, I'll lay it out how you can get it. And there's really two parts. These verses have a definite structure. At the end of verse 8, he says to meditate or think on these things. And then at the end of verse 9, he says to put into practice these things. And by using these two verbs, Paul combines the mental and behavioral concerns of living with the Lord and having joy in your life. So he says it first begins with your mind, and then you're going to act it out. So let's notice what he says. The first ingredient is the battle in the brain, the input. We are what we think. You see, the sins of the mind are the most difficult to deal with. (laughs) Pride, lust, covetousness, greed, suspicion, discouragement. Satan is always attacking our mind. By the way, I read of an account of a family that's in the hospital room and their loved one's in the bed and they're not doing well. The doctor comes in, he looks rather tired and discouraged, and he says, I I hate to tell you all this, but the only hope we have is if we do a brain transplant. He said it's a risky operation. There's no proof it's going to work. And you have to wind up paying for the brain. One of them, one little girl said, well, how much is a brain? He said, well, a woman's brain is $20,000. A man's brain is $50,000. So it was awkward in there for a minute. Men didn't look around. They didn't look at the women. They had a smirk on their face. Finally, one little girl said, and why is a woman's brain so much less than a man's? He said, well, his standard pricing procedure, we mark down the female brains because they're used. (laughs) See, you ladies thought that was going to be critical, didn't you? (laughs) Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And a valid test of what a person actually is is not what they say, but what they're thinking. And Christians should not let their minds wander. One wife told her doctor, I'm worried about my husband Henry. He's wandering in his mind. The doctor said, I know him. He can't go too far. Don't worry. (laughs) These verses come just after Paul says, don't worry, but in everything, take it to prayer. Now, instead of the essentials, we have a tendency to worry about things that are not important. And rather than looking at the known blessings that God provides day by day, we begin to look at things that really don't matter. We focus on the wrong things. We focus on non-essentials. And so Paul gives a list in verse 8 of some things that really are the characteristics of God. He says, you need to think on these things. Notice what he says. First of all, the Christian's thought life, whatever is true. Whatever's dependable is really what it means, true in the moral sense. It talks about truthfulness and dependability. Many things in the world today are not true. Have you noticed? 
We call it fake news. We call it faux whatever it might be, F-A-U-X. It means it's not real. Faux leather is not real leather and so forth. You know, to show you that you can be so easily fooled, I, I saw some pictures this week that in the caption said, this can show you what AI can do, artificial intelligence. And it showed two, it showed four pictures of Donald Trump and Joe Biden, they look like they were best friends. They're cooking together. They're sitting together on a bench, smiling at each other, and it looked like they were just best friends. And you know that's not true. Everything you see and everything you read doesn't mean it's true. You, we fill our minds with things that aren't True. I mean, how, I, I may be the only one that gets all these advertisements about how to lose weight. <laughs> Who in the world is telling us the truth? Chew this gummy. Take this pill. Oh, don't walk on the treadmill. That doesn't do any good. Oh, walk on the treadmill. That does good. Don't exercise here. No, you don't have to do... You, you can't believe any of that because it's probably none of it's true. Right? Paul is saying, you need to make sure what you're thinking about is the truth. It's dependable. A recent survey showed that only 8% of what people worry about are actually legitimate concerns. 92% were either imaginary, never happened, or they involved something that they had no control over anyway. Because Satan, according to John 8, 44, Jesus said, Satan is a liar. He's the prince of the power of the air. He's a liar. And we're bombarded by lies. And if you begin to think of that stuff, you're going to begin to act out that way. And folks, you need to be careful the input that you're bringing in. If all you ever hear is all the stuff that's bad, 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 and then we, we're told things that aren't true, but it's made to look like it's true. Paul said, you need to make sure what you're thinking about is dependable, that it's real. Sometimes I ask myself in a certain situation, I say, what is the truth here? What is the truth here? You need to ask yourself that question. He says, whatever is noble, whatever is worthy of thinking about, worthy of respect, the idea of worthy of honor or noble, things that have honest value, things that are worth thinking about. doesn't mean you can't enjoy funny things and humor, but your life is not just one big joke. You realize that you have a limited time here on this earth and that you have a reason to live, and that you have a purpose to fulfill, and that you're living a life of eternity, and when the way you interact with people talks about their eternity, whether they're going to heaven or hell, and that you've got a purpose to try to help people know about Jesus, worthy of, worthy of respect, worthy of thinking about it. He also says, whatever is just, which is the word righteous, it's actually righteous behavior. Does it conform to the holiness of God? This, this word is used to describe God himself. In a lot of verses such as Romans 3.26 or 1 John 
And it speaks of Jesus Christ in Acts 3.14 and 1 Peter 3.18. So we're to be righteous people. We're to be the kind of people that reflect Jesus. Ephesians, excuse me, 1 John 3. John writes, little children, let no one deceive you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. Which leads to the next one, whatever is pure, which means morally clean. It means holy in relation to God. If, if I think about something, is it going to corrupt me? Is it going to lead me away from God? Is it going to cause me to sin? Is it morally clean? Is it chaste? Is it undefiled? This word especially means keeping your body free from sexual sin. Ephesians 5, Paul says, Do not let immorality or any impurity or greed even be named among you, as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. We're so bombarded today with so much immoral sexual content. You hardly watch. I, I, in fact, I, I can't tell you any movies much anymore that if you see or, or content on television where if somebody likes one another, the next thing you know, they're sleeping together. No, it's just like it's a normal thing. It's just part of life. We have pornography everywhere. I remember as a, in, back in my day as a little boy or boy, you know, you didn't have access to pornography because you had to go into a store and buy it and nobody's going to do that. But now it's in your purse and pocket for free on your phone. It's everywhere. And we are being bombarded with those Thoughts, the internet, There's, the internet is good and bad. It's good, some, if you're looking for good information, sometimes, even then, you have to be careful that it's not false information. But it's bombarded with all kinds of sexuality, all kinds of immorality. And, and Paul said, whatever's pure, whatever's morally clean, think on these things. Because the more you input this into your mind, the more you're going to act it out. And sexual sin seems to stick with you. Yeah, God can forgive you, but it seems to stick to you a lot more than some of the other sins. And I'm not saying there's different levels of sin, but there's different consequences to it. He said, whatever is lovely... Whatever's pleasing before God, this is the only place this word is found in the New Testament. And it means whatever's agreeable, attractive, pleasing to God. At times we find ourselves attracted to evil. Have you ever noticed temptation is attractive? You could not tempt me ever with liver. 
I don't care. Don't come up to me and say, but you hadn't tried mine. I'm not going to try it. I'm not in the least bit tempted. It's not attractive to me. The very word, just, I just don't even, you get the point. But anything else that's fried, oh yeah, I'm there. You know what I'm talking about? It's attractive. Temptation is attractive. Sometimes evil is attractive. It, it, it re responds to the desires that we have. But this word is saying you need to be attracted to the things that are of Jesus Christ. So think about him. If, if, if you're attracted to something that's going to produce strife, don't do that. We're not to be unkind and mean and grumbling and murmuring and critical and reactive. We, we think on the things that are lovely the best qualities. When you look at other people, do you think of their best qualities or do you think of the one thing that irritates you about them? Whatever things are of good report, reputable, admirable. These things are winsome and attractive. The mind is not filled with junk. You're not going to be filling your mind with all the bad reports whether it comes on the television or the radio or in your music or in, on the internet. Listen, you've got to be careful. A lot of this stuff is just stuff that's been made up. Just because it's in print doesn't mean it's true. Just because somebody said it doesn't mean it's true. We... We would rather fill our minds with the stuff that's juicy and, and we want to, we I want to hear the, the, the stuff that's, that's on somebody else that makes them look bad or, or they're caught in this or whatever instead of thinking the best of, other, of others. He, he mentions virtue. Which, which speaks of excellence. It means morally excellent. The word is excellence in the New American Standard or the NIV. It means moral virtue. Although it's a common word in Greek literature, Paul only uses it right here. Peter used that word of the same quality of God in 2 Peter 1.3. And it means that as a new Christian, one of the first things you stop doing are those things in your life that God calls sin. I've had people say to me, well, I'm a Christian, but God saved me just like I am, which means I don't have to change. Really? Then why did you need saving in the first place? You see, we all have a bent towards something. We all have a tendency to, to like a certain thing. And if it's if it's sinful, just because you have a desire to do that doesn't mean that you can't help it. Some people say, well, I can't help it. I'm just this way. Well, let me tell you, Jesus can change this way in your life. And that's what he's saying. You think on the things of God. It means that you, you stay in line with God's moral purpose. And then the the last thing he says, and if anything's praiseworthy or praising God, the word is used to what's praiseworthy of God and Jesus Christ, but it's also what's praiseworthy in people. Of course, every attribute and deed of God is praiseworthy, so we should daily think about how good God is. That's why today I was mentioning to you with the snow falling, 
God's goodness just falls on us like that all the time. It's not often that we see something in Lubbock fall straight down. <laughs> when I came to work this morning, I came to church this morning, I saw, I said, look, it's falling straight down. That was before the wind started blowing. But, but God's mercies are new for us all day. Listen to Psalm 19, verses 7 through 9. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And Paul says to meditate on these things, to think on these things, which means to give continuous attention, to mull it over, to continuously focus attention to. The word actually means to calculate and consider something. It almost has a judicial flavor to it, making judgments. The verb is present tense, which means that you continually think. You couple that with Psalm 1. Blessed is the man, happy is the man, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Because you start by walking. Nor stands in the way of the sinners. You see the progression nor sits in the seat of the scornful. So blessed is the man who doesn't do that. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. I've told you before, the word meditate literally means chew the cud. You mull it over and over and over. You keep thinking of God's ways, and we live in a society that is trying to change everything. Telling us there's no absolute truth. Reassessing the old views. All the views of sexuality have been perverted in our culture. Sex is a good thing between a husband and a wife. That's the parameter. A man and a woman, a husband and a wife. But adultery, which is a sin against your spouse and sex outside of marriage, premarital sex, homosexuality, any kind of sexuality outside of God's parameter, God says that is not what I, it's forbidden by God's word. I, I'll just put it that way, but our minds are being manipulated. Paul wrote in Romans 7 when he was struggling with doing things he didn't mean to do or want to do and all, he said, I see another law at work in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin. It starts right here. Input. What are you filling your mind with? He then mentions the behavior in the body, the output. We do what we think. He said, you, you turn this into practice. And notice in verse 9, the things which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me. Three things right there that talk about what we've taken in and learned. First of all, it's in intellectually what you have learned. The word learned implies that our Christian faith has content to it and that people who understand that content will teach it to others so that they can understand it and put it in their life. We study 
together. Christianity is not a feeling thing. It's not a feeling religion, but a lot of people have reduced it to that. Well, I feel like this, and I feel like this, and I feel like this. Well, if you do that, you don't need God's Word. There's nothing to learn. But one of the reasons that we spend time looking at God's Word, believing that it is the truth, believing that it is inerrant, believing that it is God's mind in print, we study it together so that we can apply it to our lives. But here's what happens. When people are beginning to learn, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Then verse 6, just two verses down. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. God opens our eyes and shines in us so that we can learn who Jesus is, what He has done. When we accept Him, His Spirit, the Spirit lives, Holy Spirit lives in us, and we learn. We're learning more and more and more, and it's amazing to me. You know, when I was 15, I knew everything. I'm not 15 anymore. I'm 20. <laughs> the older I get, the more I realize I don't know, and I'm still learning. Christianity is intellectually stimulating. It is to, you learn who Jesus is and how much God loves you and, and the way that you live. But Paul said, you've learned this. But not only did you respond intellectually, you responded individually. You received it. You see, the content of the Christian faith has to be responded with our will. The word means to take it unto yourself especially what you were taught and handed down to you, and now live it out in your life. There are a lot of people who claim to have intellectual problems with Christianity. Well, I just don't believe there is a God. I don't believe in the Bible. And so you ask them, well, tell me why you don't believe this, and if I can... Well, I don't believe it because of evolution and other things. I say, well, what if, what if I could answer that intellectually to you and show you and prove to you that this is God's Word and prove to you that there's a God? Would you believe in Christ? Well, no, I've got a, there's other issues involved. Well, what other issues do you have? I mean, can I, I, I'd be glad to take a list and see if I can help you find the answer to that. Well, no, I just, I just don't feel. Most of the time, not all of the time, most of the time, there's a behavioral issue they don't want to give up. They're having sex with their girlfriend or boyfriend. Maybe they got a drinking issue or a drug problem or whatever. And I'm not being judgmental or critical. I'm just saying that a lot of times, it's not intellectually, it's individually. They don't want to give up what they're doing. So if a person says they can't believe in Christ, there's probably some other issues. It's a moral issue. And Paul said you will, you will respond 
intellectually, you'll respond individually, but then you also respond, what I've kind of already alluded to that, intentionally. He said, what you've heard and seen, do it. Just do it. Now, Paul's not boasting about himself. He's not saying, well, I'm the prime example here. He's saying, but you've seen my life. Not only what I've been teaching for you, I have been living it out in front of you. In fact, if you, Paul, if you followed Paul around 24-7, seven days a week, you would find that even when he was in prison, even when things were going well, his circumstantially well, that he still followed the Lord Jesus. He was a good example And folks, that also tells you something. You do not follow or expose yourself to the ministry of someone whose lifestyle you cannot respect. That which has been passed on to you, he said. That's a beautiful picture of one generation and passing it down to a next generation. But then he says, practice these things. Put it into practice. Present tense. Keep on doing it. Now, those of you who have hair the color of mine, back years ago, when we started learning to drive, a lot of us had to learn on a manual transmission car, didn't we? For those of you who don't know what that means, that means that that you had to shift the gears yourself. Some of us had one on the steering column. Remember that? Y'all got this? Do you remember when you first started doing that? I mean, you got to push in the clutch. You, you've got to put it in first. And then you've got to let out the clutch slow enough that you don't give everybody whiplash when you take off. Or you make the, the engine die. And, and in Lubbock, it didn't look like it would have been that hard because it's pretty flat. But in El Dorado, where I grew up, there are hills. And I can remember coming up to a stop sign. I was driving a Volkswagen. Some of y'all don't even know what a Volkswagen is. <laughs> and I'd stop on a hill and I'm thinking, now, how am I going to get started without running into the back? So I used that emergency brake a lot to hold it, and then I'd let off. And all. Do y'all remember doing all that? Those were the days, weren't they? But eventually, eventually, you got in that car, you never even thought about it again. I mean... You're in there, and you could do other things. You're shift. It just comes second nature. And I can still do it. So can you. Driving a bus or whatever, if it's got manual transmission, you know how to do it. There are a lot of people that couldn't get it going if their life depended on it because they've never done it before. But those of us who grew up doing that, it comes second nature. Well, that's what Paul is saying. You keep practicing and doing this, and before long, it will be second nature to you to live out this way for the Lord. Maybe a little awkward at first. You may have to work a little harder at it, but after a while, it just becomes a habit. And it's a habit that you want to be in. And, and Paul says, do it. Do it. Be careful of your thoughts. They may break into actions at any time. And your words and may hide your thoughts, but your actions will reveal them. And then notice the result, the last little phrase of verse 9. And the God of peace will be with you. Now, wait a second here, Paul. Back up in verse 7. 
You said that the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And now you say, if I do all of this, the God of peace will be with me. And I've been told that the God never leaves me or forsakes me. So what is it, Paul? What's the deal here? What do you mean by this? And the God of peace will be with you. Well, folks, it is true that God never forsakes us. He never leaves us. But we don't always walk with the peace of God in our life. Because if there's sin in our life, it's not God who left. It's that we just don't have peace with Him. For those of you who are married, did you ever have a disagreement with your spouse? (laughs) If you say no, I want to meet you after church. Now, if there's disagreement between you and your spouse, is there peace in the house? That rhymed. No, there's not. Oh, you don't leave each other, but there's just not that peace that's there. Well, the same is true when you're walking with the Lord. Holy Spirit is grieved. Maybe you're living in a sin and you know it's sin and the Holy Spirit's saying, I'm telling you, this isn't what God wants you to do. And because of that, you're in turmoil. You don't have the peace of God. You don't always feel the peace of God with you. And Paul is saying that when you are filling your mind with the things of God and it's coming out in your behavior in your life, then the benefit for the believer or the outcome is that it equals the peace of God will be with you. Hey, I've been there. I think it's something that all of us struggle with all the time. When I sin, I know it. And I have to confess and say, Lord, I want to be, I know that was wrong. You're going to have to help me. I want to be at peace with you. God doesn't leave, but we, all don't, we don't always have that peace of God remaining with us or residing with us. Do you all understand what he's saying? He wrote in Romans 8, 5, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. And of course, Isaiah 26, 3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Maybe today you need to stop watching whatever it is that's corrupting your mind. Maybe you need to stop listening to something that is as ungodly as it can be. Maybe you need to stop reading something that is not what you would be thankful if the Lord came in and saw you reading it. Maybe you need to quit going to places on the internet that you know are wrong. You know they're wrong. Sometimes you've got to stop it. You say, God, I need you to help me. I've, I've cluttered my mind with things. I need you to help purge that. I need you to help me start replacing that with the things that are positive. And there's so much. So if, if, if all you do is watch the news all the time, They don't ever tell you any good news. 
Oh, they may end it with one nice little event that happened, but they filled your mind with all the problems of the world. I miss the day when we didn't know everything that was going on in the world. I do. There was a time as a kid, we didn't have phones and we didn't have all this stuff. We didn't know everything was going on in the world. I want to get back to that. I'm not going to stick my head in the sand, but I'm just going to let God cover the rest of the world. I'm having a hard enough time controlling my own little world. I can pray for the leaders. Hopefully you understand what I'm talking about. What are you putting in your mind? It's coming out in the behavior. And it has everything to do with the peace that you feel. That's why Paul said, finally, Pray about everything. Don't worry about it. Finally, here's the two things. Fill your mind with things of God. Live it out in a God of peace. He'll walk right with you. And if you don't know Jesus, you'll never have this peace. Because church can't give it to you. I've been members of a lot of different churches. and I've never had a church give me peace. Legalism, living a per- trying to live a perfect life won't give you peace. Giving. It's part of walking with the Lord, but just giving for the sake of trying to find peace, you're not going to find peace there. Doing something, you won't find it there. It's only in Jesus Christ. Jesus came to reconcile us with God, and when we're reconciled with God, there's peace with God. You have to believe in Him. You have to trust Him. So today, some of you watching online, maybe you need to give your life to Jesus. You'll never have peace until you do. Peace is not the absence of conflict. It's the presence of God. And for those of you who know Jesus, maybe you need to renew your mind today. Would you bow your heads? Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. 